Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, for Democrats, it's the first big vote of the new Congress. Even though they haven't taken charge yet, they decide their leadership today in the Democratic caucus for speaker, for the new head of the DCCC, and for the new head of the Democratic Policy Committee. All up in the Democratic caucus today. We'll be watching that with all of you. And hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to the program here on this Wednesday, November 28th. The Bill Press Show, of course, that's me, and it's good to have you with us from all across the country today as we uh, join you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with the news of the day. Uh, a rare uh, briefing at the White House yesterday. Uh, a not-so-rare uh, private interview that uh, Donald Trump loves to give, this time with the Washington Post yesterday, uh, in which he said some uh, <laughs> uh, typically crazy stuff. Um, also, at the briefing yesterday, John Bolton, our national security advisor, uh, Donald Trump's, I should say, national security advisor, explaining why he has still not listened to that tape of the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, maybe because he doesn't want to know the truth. Meanwhile, uh, not not disappointing, but no surprising news uh, from Mississippi. And another big player is saying, yes, he is seriously considering running for 2020. Find out all about that and a whole lot more. Hear from you. We want to hear from you. Your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. What does the news mean to you? What do you think about what's going on? Let us know on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. A little bit of shop talk, Bill. Who yeah, is yeah. the highest paid TV host? Think about that for a second. I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, it's not who you think it is. Oh, okay. I was going to say Lester Holt. It's not Lester Holt. It's not Sean Hannity. It's not any of these people on cable news. 
The highest paid TV host is... Oh, some game show host, probably. Judge Judy. Judge Judy. You're not too far off. Yeah. You're not too far yeah. off. You know how much money Judge Judy made last year? I don't want to know. $147 million. Jesus. $147 million she made. Now, this all comes from for her show, Judge Judy. Yeah. Judge Judy Scheindlin. Yeah. She owns a lot of her TV show, and it's in syndication everywhere. Yeah, and right. it's on TV <laughs> all the time. So she just makes a ton of money. But when you talk about highest paid TV hosts, you don't necessarily think no, about no. Uh, huh. Judge Judy. In fact, uh, Forbes has a whole rundown of a bunch of these TV ju- courtroom shows. I don't want to. I'm not really sure how you describe yeah. it because they are courtroom yeah. shows, but they're right. They're a little phony. Uh, but they make a ton of money because of, of course, uh, syndication. I'd rather have her make it than Janine Pirro. That's a very good point. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Here's one thing you don't want to do. You don't want to drive drunk when you are in a parade for Christmas. That is exactly what happened in Ontario. You don't want to drive drunk, period. You don't want to drive drunk, period. That's a very good point. But you definitely don't want to do it when you are driving the Santa Claus parade. Uh, That is exactly what happened in Ontario. There's a man (laughs) uh, who's 27 years old. He was charged with having more than, this is, of course, Canada, uh, charged with having more than 80 milligrams of alcohol in his blood while operating a vehicle, which is too much, too much. And he was dry. He was actually driving Santa Claus. <laughs> so, well, you know. I, look, I know it's Canada. A little Christmas cheer. I, a little Christmas cheer, sure, but not if you're going to be driving around Santa. Think about Claus. It, in Canada, he could have been smoking pot. That's right. Look, of course, that's not a good idea either. That's the, driving and smoking pot is not a great idea either. I but guess all, there's but, no way around it. But yeah. you know, look, if you, I, I think if you're going to drive Santa in the parade. Just go sober. All right? You don't have to get drunk. You don't have to get high. You don't have to do any of that. Just go sober. It's the Santa Claus parade. Rudolph was always sober. (laughs) This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, while you were not looking, Democrats picked up yet another congressional seat. It is now 39 big wins by Democrats this year and keeps growing. There's still one more undecided. They could hit that magic 40. What do you say, folks? Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show. Here we are all together again Wednesday, November 28th, huddled here around your... uh, Radio, your TV screen, or whatever, your computer, uh, your iPhone, uh, to bring you up to date on the all the news of the day. Coast to coast, we all join together uh, for the Bill Press Show roundup of the news, for your comments, for our guests, for the whole ball of wax online, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on television, Free Speech TV. You got uh, Direct TV. There we are, part of Direct TV, on Free Speech TV and on the radio, of course, in Chicago and all the greater Chicago area on WCPT, that great, big, proud, progressive voice of Chicago, statewide. Coming to you too on Indiana. Indiana talks. Great lineup of guests today from that uh, organization called American Oversight taking a look at uh, examples of corruption in government. Boy, there are lots of them in the Trump administration. 
Uh, Austin Evers, our executive director, will be along. Uh, from the Los Angeles Times, Jennifer Habercorn, their congressional reporter. And then from the Center for American Progress, Anisha Singh, to bring us up to date on all the latest at the border. Again, look forward to hearing from you and your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. So um, how'd you do in your shopping over the weekend? Huh? Okay. I uh, I, I was online yesterday, uh, two days ago, Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday. Yep. I did my contribution. I'm afraid I fell a little short, though. I saw today 165 million people shopping this weekend. Uh, Americans shopping either in stores or online. Wait, I have to ask first. Did you go out at all on Black Friday for shopping? Are you kidding? <laughs> I know you usually don't. No, no, never, never. But my family does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My yeah, sister yeah. used to. She's finally had it. But my nieces, nephews, and you know, they, yeah, they. You know, the thing that really bothers but me. They is... really do really research. They know. Yeah. What What's out there? And there are certain like store specials, right? Yeah. And they know how to find them. I oh, mean, yeah. they they do all that research ahead of time. You know, it was uh, when I, I was in South Carolina <laughs> for the holidays, I went and got the paper for my parents because they still had the paper delivered to their house. And th- it was it was like a phone book with all the deals that were going to be happening, not just on Black Friday, but yeah, right. on Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving Day. It's oh, starting yeah. on Thanksgiving Day. It does in now. previous years that they've started doing that. Yeah, that they op- they added Thanksgiving Day, right? Uh and, and then on Cyber Monday, anyhow, the average 165 million Americans. The average yeah. was $313.29. Okay. I spent 150. So I feel like I didn't do my share. I, I spent about 300 actually. Did I did you? a bunch of shopping for the kids for Christmas. Yeah. And I, I, I think I spent right at. I like feel almost un American. <laughs> I, I did my patriotic duty. <laughs> I didn't spend more money, though. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with you? Uh, yeah. I was in there, but uh, we got it. Hey, uh, well, well, let's bring you up to date on the uh, latest political news uh, to start with. Uh, yes, in Mississippi, uh, did not go the way we were hoping it would go. It was a long, look, it was a long shot. Mike Espy, great candidate, uh, Cindy Hyde-Smith. By the way, what an embarrassment. What a dumbo, right, uh, she proved to be. But it was Mississippi. So in the end, uh, with the help of Donald Trump, she was able to pull it off. She has to run again. So the the final, the last numbers I saw was fifth, about sixty five thousand vote difference, fifty three point nine for Cindy Hyde Smith, forty six point one, less fewer than a million people voted, low turnout, um, and uh, for forty six point one for Mike Espy, um, she uh, accepted victory last night and said it's because they know me. People of Mississippi know me. Tonight in this victory, the reason we won is because Mississippians know me and they know my heart. And thank you for stepping up, Mississippi. And they know what a racist I am, but I li- they like me anyway. Uh, Mike Espy just saying, hey, we ran one hell of a campaign and I'm proud of it. While this is not the result that we were hoping for, I'm very proud Amen. of this historic campaign. So that I means- mean, the fact that uh, an African American oh, took the, uh, took totally. this to a runoff in Mississippi totally. is a big deal. Yeah, right. Right. A, a win is a win is a win. We agree on that, but yeah. like that's a big deal. And in the end, it was Mississippi, right? Uh, and despite all the horrible things that she has said and done, it is again uh, Mississippi. 
Uh, good for uh, Mike Espy for forcing her into a runoff and scaring the hell out of the Republicans so much so that the president had to go down there at the last minute uh, to try to save her, to help save her. Uh, and it certainly uh, helped, for sure. Uh, but that means the uh, lineup in the Senate now will be 53-47, uh, 45 Democrats and two independents. Remember, Donald Trump was bragging at one time that they might get up to 55 or 56. Given the political—look, uh, 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 again, not making excuses. This is not just spin. But given the political map that Democrats started out with, uh, they're lucky. We're lucky it's not more one-sided uh, than it is. Too bad it got up to, however, even as high as 53. Um, on a little better note, one more congressional race decided yesterday. <laughs> it seems like every day there's one or two, but we're running out of them. Uh, there is still one more undecided. There were two coming into yesterday. Yesterday in New Mexico, New Mexico's second district, Sochi Torres Small, the Democrat, uh, did move ahead. This is a race that, uh, again, had not been called. It was very close. It was rated as a toss-up by the Cook Political Report and Politico and Larry um, Sabato down at the University of Virginia. They all rated it a toss-up. Most of those races that were rated a toss-up went Democratic, and this one did also yesterday. So that's one more for Democrats in the House. That means Democrats picked up this year 39 seats so far, could reach that magic 40, which is huge. Anybody that tells you this was not a blue wave, they don't know what they're talking about. They just refuse to accept the facts. 39 again. Told you this before. Mentioned it before. We'll do it again. More wins for Democrats than at any time since the days of Watergate. Uh, so um, big, big uh, head start there for, for the Democrats. And Democrats in the House meet today for their first big test and their first big vote, and it's a big vote not on immigration or not on infrastructure or not on climate change. Uh, this is a big vote on the leadership of the House, who will be leading the Democrats in the House. Uh, no, no doubt about it. Nancy Pelosi will win overwhelmingly today in the caucus, and then the final vote will be January 3rd or January 5 when the when the full con the full new Congress meets for the very first day. But this this is the key vote in the House. There are also a, a key races. We'll be talking more about these with uh, Jennifer Habercorn from the LA Times. Uh, key races for head of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Um, our good friend Sherry Bustos from Illinois is one of those vying for that. Um, a big race also for the head of the Democratic Policy Committee between uh, our good friend, again, two good friends, Hakeem Jeffries from New York and then Barbara Lee, who's been in studio with us many times from uh, California. Uh, so it's all up. Also, Steny Hoyer uh, for um, Democratic Whip and James Clyburn for the uh, number three position in the uh, Democratic leadership. Uh, all up today in the Democratic caucus. And we'll report on that outcome tomorrow. But uh, Nancy Pelosi has been meeting with all the new members of the House, some, several of them uh, vowed, of course, during their campaign they would not vote for her for speaker. She's been meeting with them anyway, just trying to say, okay, what do you want out of this out of this session? And we heard from a couple of them uh, yesterday. 
um, including um, uh, uh, the uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from Queens. Uh, let's get moving with this progressive agenda. I'm really looking forward to us kind of advancing a progressive agenda and uh, really reinforcing the messages that we want on. By the way, our other good friend Mark Pocan, who is the uh, uh, co-chair of the Progressive Caucus, uh, the Progressive Caucus, the membership has has soared from about 60-some to 90, I think, the last time that I saw. So most of these new Democratic members are joining the Progressive Caucus uh, of the House, which is, uh, which is certainly very, very, very exciting. Um, and meanwhile, on the uh, Robert Mueller front, not such good news for Donald Trump. The Guardian reported yesterday, this is, if, if true, and I trust the Guardian, uh, this is really bad news for the Trump administration. Um, Guardian reports that Paul Manafort met several times with Julian Assange of WikiLeaks. Remember the WikiLeaks leaking the emails given to them by the Russians about John Podesta, about the DNC, and what was that connection? And <coughs> pardon me, was there any connection? And Donald Trump denying there was any connection. Well, if you've got, and by the way, CNN, Carl Bernstein from CNN reports further that Paul Manafort also met with the Ecuadorian ambassador. Remember, of course, Assange is in hiding or whatever, not so much hiding, people know where he is, um, but he's been given uh, amnesty or shelter in the uh, Ecuadorian uh, Ecuadorian embassy in London. So according to CNN, Manafort met with the ambassador. According to The Guardian, Manafort also met several times, including March 2016, when he was working for Donald Trump with Julian Assange. And on top of that, Jerome Corsi, who's the famous swift boat guy with John Kerry, Republican dirty trickster, if you will, he is saying that he has talked, he's, uh, he's admitted that he's in negotiations, if you will, with the Robert Mueller team about making a deal with them. And he's admitted one of the things they talked about is that he was an intermediary between Roger Stone and WikiLeaks and told Roger Stone a couple of weeks ahead of time that WikiLeaks was going to be releasing emails from John Podesta that they got from Russia. And Roger Stone reportedly told Donald Trump and his team about that. So there is more and more stuff coming out, not from the Mueller team, but from people who are dealing with the Mueller team. And on top of that, we learned that um, while Paul Manafort, a couple of days ago, remember, we reported Paul Manafort, uh, Robert Mueller has accused Paul Manafort of lying to his investigators while he's in prison and while he's continuing to talk with them and to brief them. Reported today, I think by the Post, that Paul Manafort's lawyers, while he was meeting with Mueller, 
He's made a deal with Mueller. He's meeting with Mueller's people to firm up their case. Meanwhile, Manafort's lawyers, after each meeting, would run over to the White House and tell the White House what the Manafort, what the Mueller people were asking Manafort about. Why would they do that? Only one reason. Because they're trying to grease the skids for a presidential pardon for Paul Manafort. Man, whole thing. The whole thing is getting, the plot is getting thicker and thicker. And I think that explains why we've seen so many tweets from Donald Trump over the last couple of days about the Mueller investigation. He is obsessed with this investigation. And it looks like, put put it this way, he doesn't look like a guy who's not guilty. He's not acting like somebody who's not guilty. He's acting like a guy who knows he's guilty and he can feel them closing in on him. And when you get to Roger Stone and Jerome Corsi and Paul Manafort, and we know that one of the things that they were really pushing Manafort about is, did he, did Donald Trump know about that meeting at Trump Tower that's set up by Donald Jr. to get dirt on Hillary? Uh, that could be, that could blow the whole thing wide open. So I got to tell you, we, I think we're getting close to um, uh, some, some big, big news coming out of the Mueller investigation. Bad news for Donald Trump. It does sort All of feel signs, like that, right? It looks like they're closing in. Yeah, every day is a new little wrinkle to this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about this a lot, right? Because I'm not sure exactly where or when or how this ends, but, like, they've done a lot of work already. I mean, we've seen a lot of people get indicted already. Uh, and it just, as you said, just keeps closing in closer and closer and closer to the inner circle. It's Every time I, I hear people like Sarah Huckabee Sanders say, Hey, they've had two years and they haven't done uh, proven anything. Thirty-five people have been indicted, <laughs> right? <laughs> including his campaign manager, his national security advisor, his deputy campaign manager, his campaign aide George Papadopoulos, who's uh, what is it now? Three days he's been in prison. Yeah, he's in, yeah, he's in <laughs> some hard time yeah. already. <laughs> right? How's it going, George? Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Sarah. Speaking of Sarah Huckabee Sanders, yes, yeah, she shocked us all by um, calling a briefing yesterday. Uh, at the White House. Now, before we get to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, it, they do this all the time. Uh, I've seen it, 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 particularly every once in a while, Robert Gibbs or, or um, Josh boy, I'm forgetting Ernest. This. Ernest would do it. They bring somebody else in. But I must say, in the Obama administration, when they brought somebody else in, it was usually a legitimate news item of that day that they wanted to get some more information out about. I remember when uh, the big BP oil spill, right? And they would bring in the head of the EPA or somebody to brief us on exactly what the latest efforts were to stem that oil spill. Well, <laughs> with the Trump administration, they just throw people out there to just to try to you know, change the subject, right? Uh, so yesterday whatever, she showed up with Larry Kudlow, economic advisor, who didn't really have anything to say, never does, and John Bolton, the national security advisor, where the question immediately is, hey, what about that Khashoggi tape that Turkey has had made available to the United States uh, and to other world leaders of Khashoggi? Actually, the, the Turks planted this device in the south, in the Saudi consulate and got this recording of the murder of Jamal Khashoggi 
Have you listened to it yet, John Bolton? No, I haven't listened to it. And uh, I, I guess I should ask you, why do you think I should? What do you think I'll learn from it? Hello? I mean... Hello? Yeah, maybe you'll learn what happened. That's amazing. Yeah. What's the logic behind that? <laughs> I mean, I just, I just don't get it. Right. And remember, the CIA has reported, after investigating, their conclusion that Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, MBS of Saudi Arabia, ordered the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, and at his orders, this team of goons flew from Saudi Arabia to Istanbul, carried it out, and this is the sound of their carrying it out. That's what you might learn if you listen to the tape. Why would I want to listen? It's, it's, you know, it's like a prosecutor saying, or a judge saying, why would I want to hear the evidence? Yeah. Why do I want to hear, you know, see anything? No, I'll just rule. Uh, so then, <laughs> again, the port reporters pressed John Bolton and said, well, um, maybe, again, like I said, maybe you could learn what happened. No, he said, because I don't speak Arabic. Well, if you want me to listen to it, what am I going to learn from, I mean, if they were speaking Korean, I wouldn't learn any more from it either. <laughs> well, That's remarkable. <laughs> I don't speak Arabic. Well, Ar our hands are tied. That's it, yeah. Now, I don't speak Arabic either. But I think if you heard somebody screaming, right, uh, if you heard a buzzsaw, <laughs> I think you might, I think you could hear the sounds of murder, right? Yeah, I think you could probably get the picture. I think you could, yeah, right. I don't think you hear, like, classical music playing in the background or something. I don't know. Uh, at any rate. Uh, I love was... it. I, I love it. Well, if they were speaking Korean, I wouldn't understand it either. Yeah. Well, there's, I guess there's just nothing you can do then. No. Unless they're committing murder in English. Yeah, right. I'm not interested, <laughs> buddy. Right. Keep moving. Uh-uh. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, Sarah Huckabee uh, took over. Sarah Huckabee said, this is why I have to tell you, you know, it's sort of caught between a rock and a hard place. Everybody, we all, the White House, bitch about the fact that they they hold, like, as Hunter Walker told us yesterday, their new rule is one press briefing a month. They don't want a whole month to go by without having one. So they squeezed one in yesterday. It was the only one in the whole month of November. So we bitch about the fact that they're not holding briefings. At the same time, the briefings are a total freaking waste of time because Sarah Huckabee Sanders is just nothing but a mouth. Pardon me, a mouthpiece for Donald Trump. You can't believe a word she says, and she just lies, lies, lies. Uh, so, but if, if just <laughs> here's the evidence of that uh, yesterday, where uh, first of all, um, so what about this stuff? Manafort's lawyers are coming over to the White House. Are you guys uh, getting ready to um, pardon maybe Paul Manafort? I'm not aware of any conversations uh, for anyone's pardon. Uh, that doesn't say anything, uh, right? Know, not at all. No. Uh, that doesn't say they're not going to pardon him. That doesn't say they're not talking to Manafort's lawyers. By the way, <clears throat> this little phrase, obstruction of justice, that underlies this whole thing. If Manafort's lawyers, Manafort's dealing, made a plea, plea bargain deal with Robert Mueller to tell him the truth 
and then his lawyers are running over and telling the White House everything they're talking about. I, I think that adds up to obstruction of justice. Uh, so what about Mueller? Are we going to fire Robert Mueller? The president has had uh, Robert Mueller doing his job for the last two years, and um, he could have taken action at any point, and he hasn't. So, so we'll, let that, we'll let that speak to itself. He has no intent to do anything. Mm-mm. So he hasn't fired him yet. That, again, doesn't say anything. No, that's that's classic. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, right. Uh, okay, Sarah, now look. Come on. You're a mother. Really? We're tear-gassing children at the border? No problem, she says. The White House would never want children to be in harm's way oh, no. in any capacity whatsoever. Um, however, that is why we are continuing to encourage people to follow the law. Yeah, we would never want children to be in harm's way. So we'll just tear gas the hell out of them. Yeah. Yeah, across the Better border. than locking them in cages, I guess. Yeah. And if they don't get hit by the canister, I mean seriously bodily hit by the canister— then they'll just choke to death, right? Or, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, but Sarah Huckabee Sanders will defend it. She'll defend anything. Uh, how about that climate change report, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders? I mean, the world scientists and American scientists and 13 agencies of the federal government agree on this one. What about it? We think that this is the most extreme version, um, oh. and it's not oh. based on facts. It's based on – it's not data-driven. We'd like to see something that is more data-driven. It's based on modeling, which is extremely hard to do when you're talking about the climate. What does she know? Nothing. What does she know? Modeling, hard to do. With. She sounds like she's had her doctorate in climate yeah. science, right? But, by the way, so it's not based on facts. And in his uh, exclusive interview with the Washington Post yesterday, Donald Trump just said that he didn't believe the climate report. We played a clip yesterday when I was down at the White House Tuesday and the president came out on his way to Mississippi, Monday, on his way to Mississippi. He said, I don't believe it. Yesterday, he told the Washington Post again, he didn't believe the climate change report uh, and he hasn't read it, but he doesn't have to because he's smarter than all the scientists. He actually said that. He's he's so smart. And not only does his brain tell him it's wrong, but his gut tells him it's wrong. And he says he trusts his gut more than his brain because his gut tells him what's right and what's wrong. And so he doesn't need any briefing about anything. It's just he goes by his gut. God forbid. God save the That's republic. That's Awesome. That's cool. That feels really good. That feels like we're in a really stable country right now. All we need to know is follow Donald Trump's gut. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Meanwhile, get uh, behind the gut. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of gut to get behind. Seriously, <laughs> it is. Man, we are just getting started. Oh, did I mention one other little political item? Meant to. Uh, we have uh, yet again. We have to add to our list. We had thirty on our list last week of Democrats who are saying they are thinking of running for president. Maybe we have to add it up to thirty-one because Beto O'Rourke, a uh, great, great guy, great candidate. Uh, all gave Ted Cruz really a run for his money. Uh, but yet again, it was Texas. Didn't quite make it. Um, before that, before losing the Senate race, Beto said there was no way he was going to run for president in 2020. Uh, he was just going to represent the people of Texas. Yesterday, he told reporters he's actually, and his, he and his wife are thinking seriously about it. They're going to think about it during the holidays, and then he'll make a decision about possibly running for president 
having lost a Senate race in Texas. But you know what? I'm not going to say it could never happen. Go for it. And by the way, I think he'd be a dynamite candidate. Go for it, yeah. Go for it, yeah. And he proved that he's able to raise presidential-level money more than any other Senate candidate has ever raised. So he could really shake up this race and make it very, very exciting. Uh, there we go. That's just uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg here. Uh, what kind of trouble has the uh, Trump administration been getting into? And what do you think the Democratic oversight committees should be looking at in the House? Austin Evers joins us next from American Oversight here on this Wednesday edition of the Bill Press Show. Quick break. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Wednesday, November 28th, uh, carrying on here with the news of the day. It is the Bill Press Show. We are live coast to coast from our studio here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., joining you online, joining you on the radio, joining you on television. Thanks so much for uh, being with us. And I know uh, some of you maybe didn't get around to uh, completing all your shopping uh, on uh, Cyber Monday, uh, your online shopping, that is. So uh, it's not too late. I just want you to know that Carol Press still has a few more hand-woven scarves uh, like the one I'm wearing today. A beautiful scarf, each one individually hand-woven by Carol in her studio right here on Capitol Hill. I love this black and gray mix. It's a rayon chenille. Very warm, very comfortable, um, lots of different colors and designs to choose from. Um, so uh, this is the time when, boy, you need a scarf like this uh, wherever getting out to the, the, this time of year, as cold as it is. Uh, great gifts for yourself or for someone you love. Check out our website, BillPressShow.com. Follow the link to Carol Press Scarves uh, and uh, join the crowd of people who've been on the website and buying scarves here this season. Uh, now's your time to do it. So, again, BillPressShow.com, Carol Press Scarves. Back to the news of the day and uh, one of the big issues of the day. Uh, Democrats picking up another seat yesterday. They now have 39, definitely in charge of the new Congress. And one of their new responsibilities will be oversight. Uh, Donald Trump sees that as an attack on the presidency. It's not. It's just what the Constitution requires and calls for as part of the job of the United States Congress. Uh, one organization making sure they do their job, and if they're not, they'll do their job for them. It's American Oversight, relatively new, just started in March 2017. Austin Evers is the executive director joining us in studio. Austin, good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for what you're doing. So you've been busy since March 2017? It has been. With this very, crowd? Very busy. Uh, we launched uh, last year on the theory that the Republican Congress was going to abdicate that constitutional responsibility that you're talking about, the checks and balances we all yeah, grew up learning yeah. about. And unfortunately, uh, uh, we were right. <laughs> and so we filed um, a tremendous number of uh, Freedom of Information Act uh, requests to get documents and a bunch of litigation to back those up. How many lawsuits? Eighty. Good Lord. It's yeah. a lot, but there's yeah. a lot to do. Every agency seems to have a problem. Right. So um, when you said you thought the Republicans might not pick up their oversight response, that proved to be the case. Absolutely. And and just the the bare minimum has been missing. With the family separation chaos uh, that we saw over the summer— 
uh, there was essentially no questions being asked from the Hill. No one had to explain the policy. No one had to cough up documents backing up their statements. It was all mediated through statements to the press by spokespeople and investigative journalists on the ground finding things completely contrary to what the agencies were saying. It's it's astonishing to me that Congress couldn't even lift a finger to ask some basic questions. Next year, we'll see a major difference. They'll be going back over the last couple of years, uh, going going over these open sores on our constitutional democracy and dealing with whatever new things these agencies and this president um, come up with. I mean, can you imagine had that happened under the Obama administration, how fast hearings would have been held? I can't. Within 24 I, hours, It would right? have been within 24 hours. You look at Benghazi, which happened uh, in September of 2012, and by October they had hearings with senior officials, and they continued it for two and a half years. Now, that's not the model. Yeah, the, we lost track of the number of hearings on Benghazi and on the Hillary emails. Exactly. It was, it was um, overkill, and it was petulant. And so that's not the model for oversight. We don't want to see, no one wants to see, uh, you know, a circus on the Hill, not driven by facts, driven by conspiracy, refusing to drop investigations where the evidence points them in another direction. We want to see a return to good faith, bread and butter oversight, protecting taxpayer dollars, ensuring that mistakes don't happen again. And if people have done something wrong, holding them accountable. Whether this administration feels shame Mm -hmm. is still to be determined, but at minimum, we need Congress mediating the facts. The other issue that I I thought would immediately trigger some oversight hearings would be sending 15,000 troops to the border against an enemy that basically doesn't exist, right? I mean, these are this is the United States military, right? We always tolerate presidents doing showy events standing in front of soldiers, wrapping themselves in the flag. They're the commander in chief. Uh we respect it. We often love it. But that was a uh, sending troops to the border for an invasion that was still a, a thousand miles away on foot um, was a clear political stunt. I think there's likely to be documentation within the Department of Defense uh, that will show it to be a political dist- stunt, certainly not driven by national security. Right. And there are soldiers who missed their holidays, there who didn't get danger pay. Uh, there are, um, you know, untold costs that haven't been been dredged up. Oh, yeah. And, and then you see just the consequence of a militarized approach to immigration may have had a cascading effect down to what we saw with the tear gas. Uh, do you expect any different from, Demo- from the next Congress? I think from what I'm hearing, both privately and what they're saying publicly, I expect a mixture from the next uh, Congress of uh, focusing on big constitutional issues. If Bob Mueller drops a report, mm-hmm. Jerry Nadler on the Judiciary Committee is going to be constitutionally obligated to look into it. But you're also hearing Elijah Cummings on the Oversight Committee planning to look into, uh, you know, interference with a, a relocation of the FBI um, headquarters building in D.C. because apparently, maybe, Trump was concerned it would interfere with uh, his hotel business. But also Elijah Cummings wants to look into prescription drug pricing. He keeps talking about wanting to work with this White House on those issues. He recognizes a political interest that overlaps. So I think you'll see a mix, and I'm I'm hopeful that they'll do it well, and they will be driven by fact, not conspiracy. Uh, do you think they could overplay their hand? They can, but I think there's too much hand wringing right now about that possibility. If you listen to what the incoming chairs of these committees are saying, they are saying the right things. They want to go after bread and butter taxpayer issues, uh, management issues, checks and balances. Um, If they overplay their hand, I'll say it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the bigger risk is what happens if this White House, this administration refuses to cooperate. 
I don't think we're paying enough attention to what happens when they escalate a constitutional crisis of saying no because they don't want to comply with a constitutional obligation to respond. Which, given their behavior of the last two years, um, you would not be surprised that that's the approach that they took. Anyone who thinks... Which would end up in front of the Supreme Court, whether or not we have to answer the subpoena or send a witness to this committee or cooperate at all. Yeah, this is. Right? Th- there's been a lot of talk about how the incoming Congress has subpoena power. But the um, unspoken truth is that the power of that subpoena is largely driven by the executive branch's acknowledgement of its power, recognizing that they have to comply. You can go to court if you're Congress, but it's onerous. So my question is, why do we think the first norm that Donald Trump is going to obey is a subpoena? I'm not sure we should expect that. And I, I do have confidence, though, that the incoming members and their staff are ready to escalate um, as necessary to get answers. Are impeachment hearings on the horizon? I think it all depends on the facts. And I think that's what you're hearing from Congress. And I think that's the right move. Um, If Bob Mueller drops a report that exonerates the president, don't impeach him over that stuff. If he drops a report that shows serious collusion and obstruction of justice, how could you not ask the question? Right. Uh, One of the issues, let's talk about some of the issues that they might look into. Um, do you remember, I lost track, how many hearings were held on Hillary's emails? <laughs> I don't remember the number. Uh, it was uh, it was many. It was um, um, double digits, right? Double digit. When you com- <laughs> certainly when you combine Benghazi with her emails, um, she personally spent 11 hours testifying uh, in front of That's right. That it. one marathon hearing, right? Okay. Right. And Donald Trump won't sit down with Bob Mueller privately. Right. Exactly. Okay. So... Um, and she did, but he said it was on a weekend and they didn't swear her in and all that kind of stuff. If you lie, one more time, if you lie to the FBI, even on a weekend, even if you're not under oath, it's still a crime. It's a crime. Right. Uh, so now we have another email, a little email scandal with Ivanka Trump, first daughter, um, and her use of her private server for government emails, which was reported last week. She spoke on ABC last night and said it ain't the same at all. They're all stored on the White House system. So everything has been preserved. Everything's been archived. There just is no equivalency between the two things. Uh, Poor thing. She's obviously suffering from a sore throat. But she said, so again, it's all different. Again, it's and everything that I did is part of, unlike Hillary, is part of the public record. There really is no equivalency. All of my emails that relate to any form of government work, which was mainly scheduling and logistics and and managing the fact that I have a home life and a work life, are all part of the public record. So no big deal. Two things. Number one, yeah, there's no equivalency from this perspective. She used a personal email server after she joined the White House after her father ran a campaign based on Hillary's emails and after we all spent two years litigating personal email use in the public sphere. So if anyone knew better, it's Ivanka Trump. So that's not equivalent. She she should be held to a higher standard based on, you know, what we all know. The other is, but boy, does that... Just on that point, it, you can't make the argument that she never heard about... She did make the argument. She uh, and When the Post reported the story last week, apparently... She was one of their defenses was um, she was not on the internal White House email distribution for HR memos. So she didn't get the memo on personal email. That is literally her. Did defense. she ever go to one of her 
father's campaign events? <laughs> if she didn't do what that. What else did he talk about, right? Did she never have dinner with him? I mean, you couldn't escape this issue. So yeah, that's number right. one. Yeah. I, I think she's right. There's no equivalence. In some ways, it's worse. It shows mm. that she feels that she's above the law or doesn't care about the rules. The other is, boy, does that sound familiar. If you go back to March 2015, when the New York Times broke the story about Hillary's emails, we heard, I gave them all back. Mm. None of them are classified. There's nothing to see here. Well, you know what? At that point, um, I'm sure that's what Secretary Clinton thought. At this point, I'm sure that's what Ivanka Trump thinks. But we have not seen what happens when professionals go through those emails. Have they been reviewed by national security experts? And I want to be very clear. If she was emailing on a personal email system about, say, her personal views of the president of Japan or her interactions with Chinese officials, um, that could well be classified information. For our foreign friends and adversaries would pay good money to know what the, the first daughter and senior advisor to the president thinks about those countries. Um, so they haven't been reviewed. The only people that we are uh, uh, basing this, these conclusions of hers are on are her and her paid lawyer who works for her, not for the American people. Right. Who said, I reviewed them all. Uh, this is Abby Lowell. Abby Lowell. Uh, I reviewed them all, and there's nothing there of any uh, consequence or right of a national security concern. Let, or let's, let's not show yeah. good. He's not a classification authority. I don't know what his background is on national security, but he is not authorized under the law to make a determination about whether things are classified. Um, if they are just treating these emails as though they are unclassified, they're sticking them on White House servers now. Great. They're saved. They could actually have a security threat on their hands if they haven't been evaluated. Mm -hmm. If they're classified emails sitting on unclassified White House servers, well, there you go. That's a problem. So a legitimate point of interview, uh, of oversight, right? I, I think at minimum, we've established that the standard should be an investigation. Someone should be reviewing these emails to, to test the talking points that we're seeing. And look, if there's nothing there, great. Then we nipped it in the bud. And to be clear, American oversight is the only reason... Ivanka Trump stopped using her personal email. She continued using it until we sued. And then the White House counsel was told, presumably by an agency, so we have some of these emails. Do you know about them? They didn't. The only reason she got the memo on personal email was because she got the, the, the lawsuit. Right. Well, good for you. Yeah. Stop right. under tracks. American Oversight. It's AmericanOversight.org is a website, or you can follow uh, Austin and his colleagues there at on Twitter at WeAreOversight. At We Are Oversight. Um, Matt Whitaker, acting attorney general. This seems to me one an area, would you agree, that's ripe for uh, some investigation or oversight? Because you got a guy appointed is now acting as attorney general, not confirmed by the Senate. There are Where several people, even some Republicans have said it is not it's unconstitutional. Uh, there are serious constitutional concerns about um, putting someone who is not Senate confirmed, who is outside of the chain of um, uh, uh, of command, uh, in charge of the um, Department of Justice. Uh, there are serious concerns that while Jeff Sessions was recused from the Mueller investigation for the past year and a half, he may not have been. Whitaker may not have been. Now he's overseeing it. He appears to have been a uh, like a line of information from the DOJ to the White House about the Mueller investigation. We know they had joint defense agreements with Manafort. They're clearly sucking up information. And then you add to these serious questions. He was uh, a member of the, the only employee of a very large uh, conservative nonprofit, uh, anti-Hillary nonprofit for the last few years. Has he disclosed to the ethics officials who his influences are? 
does he have any ongoing influences? And then, uh, as we learned last week, an American Oversight um, submitted complaints on both of these issues. He seems to have omitted a major loan he made to his 2014 campaign, a debt owed to him uh, on his financial disclosure forms, and he appears to have received multiple campaign donations to that account this year. This year, while being chief of staff year? of the Department of Justice, um, is he running for Senate in 2020? Chuck Grassley's a little old. I don't know. Um, but uh, his defense there is that, well, you're allowed to accept donations, even if you're a current official, to pay down campaign debt. Okay, so maybe you get out of campaign finance, Hatch Act violations. That's a violation of criminal law. But then you walk into a failure to disclose that debt. What, it, what is it? So all these things put together, how on earth is this the person who should be leading the Department of Justice when there are others who are confirmed by the Senate available? Right. you got to start thinking that he's to- Donald Trump's guy. Right. And also who has been on the record uh, as a television commentator, um, uh, not just a skeptic, but an opponent of, of the Mueller investigation and suggesting ways that an attorney general could either kill the investigation or slow it down or limit its scope. Here's what should happen. If he's not going to step down right now, which is probably what he should do, it's what I think he should do, at minimum, he needs to publicly recuse from the Mueller investigation entirely. Give it back to Rod Rosenstein, who I have my own issues with, but he's certainly better than Whitaker. Publicly recuse, and then Donald Trump needs to nominate a real attorney general who can be vetted by the Senate, who can be asked questions and put into place that we so we can all have trust that at least the constitutional checks and balances have um, been engaged before we put someone in charge of our law enforcement. He's our, you know, the head of all of our, our prosecutions around the, the country. We need to have more faith than we currently do in him. Right. Um, we haven't, it was interesting, President uh, Obama last night was out uh, giving a speech, ooh, I forget. Was it with now. Jim Baker? Yeah, yes. University of Texas, was it? Could be. Houston, University of Houston. Houston yeah, University but, but Jim of Houston. Baker was there. It was right. part of Jim his Baker was uh, there, right. Um, and he mentioned <laughs> something about his administration. Um, and I was at the White House every day during his administration. It, it was one, one, one thing that was different about the Obama administration is you didn't see people marching off to jail, as the president pointed out last night. Not only did I not get indicted, nobody in my administration got indicted, <laughs> which. By the way, was the only administration in modern history that that can be said about. Now, whatever happens, you're not going to be able to say that about the Trump administration, are you? That seems to be right. Um, Whether you just limit it to Bob Mueller's work alone, people in Donald Trump's orbit seem to get into trouble. And um, And when you look at his cabinet, I mean, particularly the um, abuse of funds for private use, right? Whether it was Scott Pruitt or David Shulkin at VA or Tom Price starting off with. I mean, the list goes on and on. Betsy DeVos, I mean, all of them. I mean, Ben Carson, I'm just saying. <laughs> Ryan Zinke. If you have an independent Department of Justice that can make charging calls on its own without political influence, um, you can, you know, hope that even a administration will, even, you know, this president's administration would indict his own people. We know Ryan Zinke has been referred to the Department of Justice. We, yeah. we know that Scott Pruitt was as well. Um, I think it is a matter of time before the criminal justice system catches up to this president and people in his administration in the same way we've seen it happen to his campaign. Um, I mean, Michael Flynn uh, was indicted for uh, campaign activities and also 
uh, things he did during the transition and then lies he committed uh, right after he joined. So who knows who's next? Um, there is not an ethos of keeping your nose clean in the Trump administration. And mm-hmm. I think we've seen that trickle down uh, to the agencies, to the the cabinet officials, and we haven't even started digging onto the sub-cabinet officials. Right. And by the way, and this starts at the top, right? It does. So we do have in New York an ongoing investigation about financial conflicts or whatever with the Trump empire, right? And now Donald Trump in the White House still has not, um, didn't, didn't sell his office assets, as even the Wall Street Journal advised. Um, so you've got the question about how he's personally profiteering from the presidency ongoing right now. Um, if you go down to the Trump International Hotel on any given night, which I am not suggesting people do, it's not an advertisement <laughs> okay. for the right. hotel, if you go down there, it is the uh, living, teeming embodiment of Donald Trump's swamp. You can buy a $26 margarita, and some portion of those proceeds, I'm sure, go to the bartender, but another portion of them go into Donald Trump's pockets. And those are people, uh, uh, diplomats, um, lobbyists, congressional staffers, agency staffers, cabinet officials, all mixing uh, in what the version of Donald Trump's Washington, which is uh, this is his show. And it includes making sure that he's happy financially, emotionally, in the press, however it is. And it right. is unprecedented. And it is a top priority, I think, for the next Congress to investigate who's spending money there. How are they accounting for it? You know, yeah. when- and you didn't mention uh, foreign visitors, particularly uh, and and events that are sponsored by foreign governments reception. I've been invited to several of them uh, that, that might have been held at some other Washington hotel. But now they're all relocating to the Trump International Hotel for an obvious reason. An absolutely obvious reason. Um, it's uh, Especially it's the we, Saudis, I might add. The Saudis, yeah. I, early on, it was the Kuwaitis. Uh, the, um, I believe it was the Prime Minister of Malaysia made a very public showing of coming to uh, visit the hotel while he's under criminal investigation. Um, you know, there's a, there's a provision of the Constitution that um, is designed to protect all of us from this kind of influence peddling, the Emoluments Clause. And, um, you know, people might think, well, we elected a businessman. Should he have to get rid of his businesses? Yeah, the Constitution. It's the supreme law of the land. I'm sorry, Donald Trump's personal preferences and desire to, you know, hawk expensive margaritas to foreign dignitaries doesn't take precedence. Right. And I think there will be investigations of this, uh, to be sure. And we're going to, I mean, these are constitutional questions. This isn't drain the swamp. It is um, unconstitutional. And, And as you alluded to earlier, uh, the president knows very, very much, very well uh, how the hotel is doing, and he's worried that there could be some competition from another big hotel across the street. Were the FBI to relocate its headquarters? This is such a ridiculous story, and I wish it weren't potentially true. So uh, earlier this year, the Inspector General for the um, GSA, the General Services mm-hmm. Administration, which has jurisdiction over federal buildings, including um, the hotel. Um, it, it, the IG report, report came out that said that one of the um, apparently one of the reasons that the FBI headquarters on the mall has not been relocated despite years of planning is that um, there were conversations in the White House, including with the president. Now, here's what was going to happen. The FBI headquarters was going to be moved either to Virginia or Maryland, and in its place was going to be a private development, a mixed-use residential, commercial, beautiful spot. Donald Trump's a real estate guy. He recognizes beautiful spot for 
what was one of the mm-hmm. approved uses? A hotel. Yeah. Why does he suddenly care about this building? Well, he's in the neighborhood. And a new hotel on Pennsylvania Avenue um, could compete with the Trump International Hotel. That is such a blatant conflict of interest. <laughs> How many properties is he interested in uh, and engaging on? The ones that compete with him. It's astonishing. And the inspector general hinted at it. We know Elijah Cummings and the Oversight Committee is planning to look into this. And American Oversight has litigation also for documents surrounding this potential conflict. Yeah. Well, it's a new day and it's going to be different, but you are still going to have your work cut out for you. We are trying to parallel the work to supercharge congressional oversight and find the facts when the Trump administration tries to obstruct. All right. Great work. Thanks, Austin, for coming in. Again, the website is check it out. They're doing great work there at American Oversight. It's AmericanOversight.org. And then you can follow them uh, every day, every minute of every day at We Are Oversight. Coming up. Jennifer Habercorn from the L.A. Times. Stay tuned. We'll this be right back. is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Okay, well, we're going to have to talk about that. Here we are on a great big day where Democrats pick up one more seat in the House. The magic number is now 39 and could grow to 40 with one undecided seat still to be settled. The pickup was in New Mexico's 2nd District. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is the Bill Press Show on a Wednesday, November 28. So good to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us. The Bill Press Show as we boom out to you live uh, all the way across this great land of ours, coast to coast, from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, when you connect L.A. with Washington, D.C., you get people like me, um, Californian, now relocated to Washington, thanks to CNN a few years back. And you also get people like Jennifer Habercorn, who is the congressional reporter for the L.A. Times, based here in Washington, D.C. Good to see you, Jennifer. Thanks for coming in. Thanks so much for having me. Right. Uh, I was out in L.A. last week. It looks it's looking better than ever. <laughs> the know? weather's probably better than today. Here in DC too. Uh, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. And uh, it have, it was the week after the fires, the disastrous Wolsey fire. So the smoke had cleared, and uh, while I still had to wear a mask up in San Francisco, really? I could breathe in L.A., which was comforting. Oh, that's good. Yeah, right for that. So it's good to have you with us, and we've got lots and lots of news uh, to talk about, uh, including uh, the great big vote today by Democrats in the caucus for the new leadership positions, not just speaker. Uh, that's going to lead Democrats into the next Congress. We'll get into all of that and look forward to hearing from you and your comments about the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. 
Uh, again, we'll jump right in with Jennifer Haverkorn from the LA Times. But first, this the, is uh, the, uh, the big headlines press. of the day. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, you fly a lot. Imagine mm-hmm. this happening. You get on the flight, you get off of the flight, you get to your destination, and oh no, you've lost your wallet. That is exactly what yeah. happened to this young man from Brandon, South Dakota. Uh, his name uh, is Hunter Shamat. He lost his wallet on a flight to Las Vegas for his sister's wedding. So he figured he was screwed. He had lost his wallet. He didn't know what to do. But then all of a sudden, he got in the mail his wallet returned with the $400 check that he had inside of his wallet, along with the $60 cash that he had inside of it, and another $40. Someone said, hey, it really sucks that you lost your wallet, so we're going to round this up to $100 cash mm. and just send him, wow. the, send him the wallet with the letter. So isn't that nice? Isn't that a nice, uplifting story? I think the next time I fly, I'm going to leave my wallet on the plane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you might make money. Yeah, you might make money. That's a very nice story. I hope. Uh, a wonderful man. Peter, you would never have done that because we know what you do. <laughs> oh, no, I take the money. I take the money instead of the wallet. We That's have this just, conversation yeah. all the time. Yeah. Peter said, if he found a wallet with money on it, he'd take the money. <laughs> i take the money. Yeah, i take the money. Uh, we talked earlier about Sarah Huckabee Sanders having her uh, first press briefing this month. Well, CNN one actually... And, one and only. The one and month. only one this month. Uh, CNN did something very interesting yesterday. It's called Facts First, and they were running alongside, like on the side of the screen, a real-time fact-checking of what Sarah Huckabee Sanders said. So when she would say something that was not true, CNN would put up a little bullet point up there that that talked about her questionable claim or what she said and what what was wrong about it. For instance, during the climate change (laughs) stuff, she talked about how it wasn't real science and all this stuff. CNN had to point out that 300 scientists, 13 federal agencies all put out this stuff. It's not like, you know, paid climate deniers or, or climate change uh, uh, supporters. This is a new um, approach. And CNN, uh, CBS, by the way, when I was there Monday when the president was going down to Mississippi and Paula Reed from, CNN, uh, from CBS was asking the president about the separation policy at the border. And he said it was the same as Obama's. And she said right away, no, it's not. Here's the fact. And she was and he just turned around and walked away. Yeah. <laughs> Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. Yeah, add one more for 2020. Beto O'Rourke from Texas. Still recovering from his loss to Ted Cruz, but uh, uh, having scored uh, almost an impossible showing for a Democrat in Texas, he now says that he is seriously thinking about joining the ranks of uh, dozens of Democrats who are thinking of running for president in 2020. Every day gets more and more interesting. Hello, folks. Great to see you today. It's Wednesday, November 28th. This is the Bill Press Show. We are coming to you live from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill. And joining you coast to coast online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Also on television, on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and out in the greater Chicago area. Hello, Chicago. Hello, WCPT. 
join me in welcoming Jennifer Habercorn from the Los Angeles Times here to the uh, studio. Uh, Jennifer, if you look at the American political scene, boy, California, I mean, how blue can you get, right? <laughs> right. I mean, yesterday we had that extra seat in Kern County, mm-hmm. which again has, you know, as former Democratic state chair of California, I know every one of those congressional districts, there were parts of the state where we just didn't make an effort because we knew we had no chance of winning. Kern County was certainly one of them, and Orange County was another. Yeah, and now I think we're up to 45 Democrats in the delegation out of 55. It, it, no, I think it's 53. It's 53. I think it's bigger. It's now, um, it was 48-7, and now it's 49-6. Wow. It, I mean, or 49-4. No, 49-6. Yeah. Okay. I was talking to one of the Democratic House uh, members yesterday, um, and uh, he, he said he's not able to keep track of them all. Um, it's, it's incredible, you know, just Orange County alone. Yeah. It's, it's a wipeout. Um, right. And all seven districts in Orange County. Yeah. And, you know, to think that Kevin McCarthy, the House minority leader or soon to be House minority leader, um, made it a point that he wanted to make California even more Republican. And it's been the exact opposite with him at the helm of the House. Right. In fact, uh, one thing that happened in California, people don't talk about it much, but there was a proposition on the ballot, Proposition 6. So um, for all the rest of you who don't follow California politics as closely as you and I do, uh, the a year ago, the legislature um, and Jerry Brown signed it, uh, an extra gas tax, 12 cents. It was a pretty hefty gas mm-hmm. tax to pay for road improvements, highway improvements, and public transit. Um, and that was so enacted. It had kicked in. Kevin McCarthy led an effort to put Proposition 6 on the ballot to repeal mm-hmm. the gas tax. And the reason he did it was to get Republicans out to vote because he said, hey, there's a measure on the ballot to overturn a tax. Republicans are going to definitely come out and vote against taxes. And guess what? <laughs> didn't really work. <laughs> it didn't work. It They lost that Proposition 6. Mm-hmm. The gas tax is still in place, which I find that remarkable in and of itself. I don't know how many states where people would be given a choice, right? You're going to pay more for gas or Mm -hmm. you're not. But the people of California knew the roads are in bad shape, the highways are in bad shape, they want more public transit, Mm -hmm. they need it, and they they knew where this money was going, and they said, no, it makes sense, we're willing to pay it. So he lost the proposition and lost all, all of Orange County and now another seat in Kern County. I just figured the math out. I'm sorry, my math. So it now is 46 Democrats and seven Republicans okay, that out of 53, right. which um, is astounding. It really yeah. is. And I, I think back to what caused that, and I think a lot of it has to do, frankly, with Kevin McCarthy's relationship with those Republicans. You think about the, the uh, tax bill vote. That was a, a really important vote for Republicans this year. The Obamacare repeal vote, that was another one. Um, and he was able to get a lot of those Republicans to vote for both of those. Mm-hmm. And that helped sink a lot of those Republicans. You know, I'm thinking about Mimi Walters and the tax bill. That was a big part of uh, her race. And so I think you could argue that McCarthy's had such good relationships with the Republicans in California that he was able to bring them along on those tough votes. Right. And it sank them. Right. And he did sort of emerge, didn't he, McCarthy, as Trump's 
ally or yeah. link to mm-hmm. the Republican caucus. I mean, Trump's relationship with Ryan was always iffy. I mm-hmm. personally think Ryan was much, much more go along with Donald Trump right. um, than he should have been. But, but the personal relationship was developed between Kevin McCarthy and Trump. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it, it, it really didn't help in a place like California. I mean, no. you could argue the same in a lot of the suburban districts around the country. But I think it was particularly acute there where McCarthy had those tight relationships with okay. the California Republicans. All right. So Democrats have their first big vote today. Uh, and this is not a vote on any of the issues like immigration or uh, infrastructure or whatever. This is all about leadership, right? Uh, let's start with the speakership. Any doubt that Nancy Pelosi will get that caucus vote today? No doubt at all. She will definitely get it. She just needs a majority of the Republic of, excuse me, of the Democrats. Yeah, that's right. the returning Democrats and the newly elected Democrats who are here in town. Um, no doubt that she's going to get that. Um, uh, the question will be, what is her margin? Two years ago, she lost sixty-three of her Democrats. Um, you know, if she's able to beat that this year, that'll be a big accomplishment. Um, some Democrats need to vote against her today. They need to be able to tell their constituents, I promised I was going to vote against Pelosi, and I did so today. The question will be, do they hold that in January when the vote is real and public on the House floor? Today's vote is uh, in a back room, secret ballot. Um, you know, we may see some members Instagram their vote, um, you know, prove mm-hmm. to their constituents mm-hmm. uh, how they voted. But we won't know exactly how everyone voted. Uh so who's running against her? <laughs> That's the funny thing. I've heard it called a phantom. Um, there's no one. Um, it's a group of rebels who are against Pelosi. They say they need new leadership, but no one has emerged to challenge her, which has really undercut this effort. I think I think if there was a serious challenger, there's enough uh, frustration with, you know, there's been no leadership change in so long. I think if someone solid had emerged, this would have been a real fight. But the fact that no one emerged has really helped Pelosi. Right. Uh, And last time it was Congressman Tim Ryan, Mm. who is part of this rump group, but for his own reasons, decided he was not going to be the candidate this time. They were hoping Marja Fudge would. Uh, She ended up making a deal with Pelosi for a chairmanship. Uh, the, the, uh, The leader does have some powers, right? Yeah. And she, you know, frankly, bought her off and, you know, said, you can be the chairman of this subcommittee that's going to look into voting rights. It's an issue important to Democrats, important to Congresswoman Fudge of Ohio. And uh, she put out a statement saying, you know, Marsha Fudge is the next uh, incoming chairman. And within three minutes, a statement came out saying, I'm going to support Nancy Pelosi. Um, and, you know, that proves how powerful Pelosi is and how much she uses that in the way that's going to advance her cause. In this moment, her cause is herself. Right. Um, you know, she. Well, how powerful she is, but also, and also just what a skillful politician she yeah, is. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and she, we know she didn't come to it like entirely on her own. I don't take anything away from her, but. She comes from a political family. It's in her blood. Her father was the machine boss and the mayor of Baltimore. So was her brother. Right. And, you know, she's. I was talking to Congresswoman Jackie Speer yesterday, also from California, who's a close Pelosi ally. Yes. And she said, you know what? Pelosi knows exactly what every member wants or doesn't want. She knows what button to push if she needs them for something. 
And uh, she attributed it maybe to the fact that Pelosi has five children. <laughs> and you kind of know that with your kids, you know, what's going to get them to do something or not do something or incentivize them. And she knows that with all 200-something Democrats. And that that's huge. She knew that Marsha Fudge would want this, and she offered it to her. Here's what one thing I don't understand is, uh, and for the record, um, so you know, and my, our listeners and viewers know, I'm a Pelosi fan and friend for a long time. Uh, and my feeling is, you know, she earned it. I mean, she, the Democrats would not have won back the House without Nancy mm-hmm. Pelosi. I think that's a fact. Uh, the money she raised, the support she gave, the candidate she recruited, the work she's done over the last few years. So um, having said that, what surprised me a little bit is in this year of the woman, where so many mm-hmm. women candidates ran and won, and so many women around the country were involved in campaigns and to, to a, a record extent, right, out mm-hmm. there working the campaigns, supporting candidates and, and in every way they could, and really are responsible, I think, behind this dramatic Democratic victory in the House. Why people who wanted change in the leadership focused on Nancy Pelosi and not on Steny Hoyer or James Clyburn? Mm-hmm. They went after the one woman, the most powerful woman in the country. So what kind of message was that sending? It's, that I think, I guess I should say, that also undercut their efforts, didn't it? Oh, definitely. I mean, there's been an undercurrent of sexism and even ageism through this whole process. And, you know, Pelosi even pointed out in a press conference that 14 of the 17 people who were at one point assumed to be assigning, mm-hmm. uh, signing this letter saying, you know, we won't vote for Pelosi, were white men. And... Um, you know, that's a unmistakable fact. Um, that That is what it is. Um, when I've talked to the rebel coalition, um, they say that's absolutely not the case. This is about leadership. This is about Pelosi holding on to the gavel for too long. Um, but it's definitely out there. And, you know, that's why we don't see Tim Ryan challenging her again. Um, a white man can't be seen doing this. And that's that's just the fact of the political climate that we're in right now. Now, this is just this is very much inside baseball, but it seems that her remaining problem inside the caucus is not so much the new progressives who've been um, elected and some of whom have said, have vowed not to vote for her, mm-hmm. at least in the caucus. We pointed out January could be different. We'll get to that in a second. But her problem is with the so- members of the so-called problem solvers caucus who want some changes to the rules. And these, for the most part, are members who've been around for a while. Right. They're veteran members. Um, but they just think that the that the rules don't allow them. Uh, some people also also call them the Freedom Caucus <laughs> of the left, right? Or I mean, of the Democrats, yeah, right. What do um, they want? So they're problem creators for Pelosi right now. Not problem solvers. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. This is mo- this is a group of moderates. Um, it's uh, Republicans and Democrats. Obviously, it's just Democrats who are involved in this, these discussions. One of the things they want uh, they want rules changes. They want a rule to be that if a bill has three fifths support in the Congress, that it has to come to the floor. And you know, one of the jobs of Speaker is she gets to determine what comes to the floor and what doesn't. There could be a lot of support for a bill, but it's politically unpalatable to some people, and she blocks it. And that could be really helpful to those members. Um, but the Problem Solvers Group wants a rule change along those lines. They say that they're not going to vote for her. Um, you know, they know that Pelosi's in deal-making mode, and so they're trying to leverage that to get a deal with Pelosi. 
I have to suspect at the end of the day, these people are not going to block Pelosi. I think there will be some kind of agreement that's just kind of I, I think that's just how these things are going to shake out. But, right. um, you know, you compare them to the Freedom Caucus. I think they don't deserve that much credit yet. You know, the Freedom Caucus was very powerful in oh, that yeah. they oh, yeah. held yeah. to their word. They and pushed John Boehner out. And, in fact, I think they, in effect, forced Paul Ryan to, yeah, exactly. to step down. Um, if the problem solvers emerge and draw a hard line and actually block her, I would be stunned. You know, Democrats just don't <laughs> have that kind of gut in the way the Freedom Caucus did, right. for better or for worse. Right, and to allow uh, Kevin McCarthy to be speaker when exactly. they, don't, they don't control. It's not going not gonna to happen. So in January, just so our listeners and viewers understand, in January, it's no sacred ballot. Every member has to stand up and announce mm-hmm. a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to be Pelosi or McCarthy. It could be anybody living. It doesn't have to be a member of Congress. Right. right. Or they could vote present. Mm-hmm. And that's the, I think that's the lifeline, right, that some of these right. members need. Some of these members who said, I never vote for Pelosi, so they don't vote for her in the caucus, then they vote present on the floor, which in effect doesn't really hurt her. Right. That helps her. If it's a no vote, if it would have been a vote against Pelosi, it would help her if they vote present. Right. Uh, and uh, my understanding is that if they vote present, the number of, so the number of votes you need is cha- it reduces reduces it every time somebody votes present you need one fewer vote Mm -hmm. and so she may end up not needing 218 but 215 or 14 or something like that this is very inside baseball but that's seen as an out for her Um, politically I don't know if that helps that member you know if they have promised on the trail to vote against Pelosi and then they vote present it's kind of viewed as like you're not doing your job Um, there's you know, the Pelosi okay. camp and her allies argue that that's totally acceptable because right. they voted against her in this in the room caucus, today. Right. So they'll have two years to deal with their constituents about right. that. <laughs> uh, just quickly, there are other races up. I I, I know that um, for the DCCC, I think there are some six candidates up. God knows how that's going. Four. <laughs> Four? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, uh, Barbara Lee and Yakim Jeffries, Barbara mm-hmm. Lee, California, Yakim yeah. Jeffries, New York. Are vying for the positions at caucus, uh, not caucus, caucus, caucus chair, right? Uh, any insight on that? Um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll caveat this by saying these um, down ballot races have gotten a lot less attention than Pelosi's. Yeah. Oh, but I yeah. do think um, Barbara Lee is going to pull it off. Um, you know, that the, she's a, a veteran member; she's been around for a long time. Um, a lot of the Congressional Black Caucus, which she used to chair, have come out for Barbara Lee. Um, Hakeem Jeffries is very popular. I think if he wasn't going up against someone as powerful and as veteran as Barbara Lee, that he'd have a really good chance at a leadership slot. But I do think it's going to go in Barbara Lee's favor. Yeah. And then um, the other, I think it's a, a new policy committee, the David Cicilline from Rhode Island. Right. Uh, a good friend of the program is up, unopposed, running unopposed for that. Yes. Right. This is a position that Nancy Pelosi essentially created because um, – you know, a lot of these positions were two members going up against each other who, um, you know, were popular and viewed as should having a viewed as, um, you know, should be at the table. Um, so he's going to be the uh, uh, communications chairman for the Democratic Policy Communications Committee. There's also three co-chairs. So the table is getting 
It's a, it's a Thanksgiving sized table at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so let's switch to let's switch houses of Congress over to the Senate uh, on the issue of border security. Yesterday, um, Democratic leader Chuck Schumer uh, made an interesting statement about okay, uh, we're not going to give Donald Trump the wall, but here's the deal that we have offered on border security. The $1.6 billion for border security negotiated by Democrats and Republicans is our position. We believe that is the right way to go. So the Democrats are saying almost before any fight that we're going to give you $1.6 billion, uh, and which raises a question to me, why, with all this, these people going after Nancy Pelosi, why wasn't there a challenge to Chuck Schumer in the Senate? Yeah, that's. A I mean, really... the Democrats are giving away one point six billion dollars for nothing. For what? What are they getting for it? Nothing. Not much. Some right? Border fence. Yeah, yeah. So, what is it with Schumer? Um, you know, the Senate um, is much more staged than the House. You know, the House is the rambunctious chamber. You have all these new members who are very excited. You know, Republicans were very effective in making Pelosi a boogeywoman for mm-hmm. the last several election cycles. Yeah. And that had an effect because some of these candidates in tough districts had to distance themselves um, from her. So they had to promise not to vote for her. So then this became a numbers game when you had, you know, 17 candidates getting elected promising not to vote for Pelosi. That gave her a huge problem. Um, and you didn't Republicans haven't really done that to Chuck Schumer in the same way. So you didn't see candidates, you know, having to make that promise. Um, and so I wonder if they haven't done that to Chuck Schumer because he's not that effective. That <laughs> maybe they don't, they don't see him maybe as that big a threat. That could be the case. Um, some would argue that it is sexism and that Pelosi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, has the you know San Francisco liberal label that doesn't play well in parts of the country and that that worked against her as well. Um, Schumer, you know, there's no threat that Democrats are going to take control of the Senate. Um, and and I think with among Senate Democrats, there's no one really ready to challenge him. Um, there's no one who feels like they could win challenge. You could see how in the Senate you're less likely to see someone strike out and try to make a challenge. Cindy Hyde-Smith, uh, no surprise to us who follow this. Um, Mississippi is Mississippi in the end, and uh, despite all of her problems, she was able to win uh, last night. But she has to run again in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, i, I got to say, as objectively as I can, looking at her, she's not a very strong candidate. I mean, uh, do you think Republicans will stick with her in 2020? You know, it's hard to know. Um, I Or Jeff Sessions going home. Oh, no, that's wrong state. <laughs> wrong wrong state. state. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. He, he would be a carpetbagger if he moved no, at this right. point. No, that's right. not going to do that. Sorry. Um, I, I could definitely see. But there I mean, are other Republicans who might want to challenge right? her. And I think the Democrats could remount a challenge. Um, you know, she not only made a horrible remark, but she didn't clean it up well. Mm. Um, and, you know, what... She doesn't really have any accomplishment to talk about, you know, will she in the next two years is going to be a big question. Right. She doesn't talk to reporters in the Capitol very often, I'll tell you that, which really? is typically a sign yeah. that, you know, you're running on defense. Boy, um, I think she's smart not to talk to reporters. <laughs> She'd be in more, probably in more trouble than she is that may be because the case, she's not yeah. very adept, certainly. But she was appointed to fill the seat when Th- by, of Thad Cochran mm-hmm. uh, temporarily until this time and then runs until – 2020 has to run again in right. 2020. So 
uh, and certainly vulnerability. Uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves in a sense because the Congress is in session. They are. For two weeks? Two weeks. Okay. Um, Excuse me, three weeks. Three weeks. All right. Uh, what can we expect? Donald Trump yesterday said he's not budging on the wall. He wants $25 billion for the wall, whatever it is. It, it keeps going up. Uh, is he going to get it? Uh, so he wants five billion. He's drawn a red oh. line over five billion. Oh, five in in this That's one year. The, in this year, right, right. Um, you know, both sides right now are positioning. He's drawn the line at five. Schumer in the audio you played yeah. drew the line at one point six. Um, if they don't budge, then we're looking at a shutdown. Um, and you know, both sides have a reason to not budge. This is Trump's last chance to get something through a Republican House, and so he would need. He would need House Republicans to vote for it, and and they certainly would at this point, but it would never get through the Senate. And, you know, do we get something that's between 5 and 1.6? That's possible. There was speculation earlier this year that there could be a border wall for DACA, some kind of dreamers immigration um, uh, reform. That seems pretty unlikely. Democrats tell me that there's no discussion of that. And, you know, they feel like they're in a position of power right now. They just won the House. So why would they give Trump a border wall? Um and I could definitely see them holding their ground on that. And they've had the House, the Senate, and the White House for two years, and they didn't get, and he didn't get his funding for the border wall. Right. And so, Republicans had been telling him, just wait till after the midterms, wait till after the midterms. And now mm -hmm. the midterms are over. And so it's either now or never. Right. Uh, and finally, uh, will there be a shutdown? Um, you know, like I said, I think one party has to move pretty significantly. So as of now, I think a shutdown is a, a possibility. It's probably a coin Still, toss. Still, really? Yeah. I think so. I think, you know, um, Trump yesterday did two interviews, one with The Washington Post, one with Politico, in which he kind of stuck with $5 billion. Um, And it, it's interesting. He met with the House Republicans in between those interviews. The Politico interview was after he mm. met with them. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, made it sound like um, a, a shutdown would be, would be politically palatable for him. I find that hard to believe. Um, you know, Schumer said yesterday that if there's a shutdown, it's on Republicans' backs. It's on Trump's well, it's back. Not and about it. and yeah. I believe that. You know, it's well, they're in charge they of all run three everything. branches still. Yeah. yeah, right. No, he does keep. He does seem to have this feeling that a shutdown would actually help him. I think he's wrong about that, but yeah. can't believe he would want to want to walk into that because, um, I mean, we've seen shutdowns before, and we know. That the party in charge usually gets blamed for it. Yeah, yeah. They don't. Ask they don't like Newt anyone. Gingrich. They don't make anyone look responsible. Right. Um, is there any? So at his news conference, the day after the midterms, mm -hmm. um, in speaking about Congress and the Democrats having control of the House, the president sort of indicated, "Okay, you got a choice. It's going to be cooperation. Cooperate with me." Or investigate me. Mm -hmm. So it's cooperation or confrontation. Uh, is that the way it's going to be? Is there any possibility of something like in between, maybe actually getting together on some projects, prescription drug pricing or infrastructure? You know, I think I think this is something that House Democrats really need to come to terms with because, as you alluded to, there's a lot of progressives who are elected, but there's also these moderates in what um, Democrats call red to blue districts, districts mm. essentially that they flipped from Republican right. to Democrat, where, you know, Trump may have won that district and it's going to be hard to confront him constantly. I could see Democrats 
working with Trump on an infrastructure bill very early on, you know, that's they've been talking about infrastructure for two years. I think it's time that they could finally do it. Um, but then I think you turn to investigations and subpoenas. And I think the moment that Trump views the House Democrats as a threat, that cooperation is going to go away. Democrats are talking about how they can do two things at once. I think I that's going to be say, difficult. Can't they do two things at once? Can he do two things at once? I think that's the bigger question. Can he? Can he work with Democrats and see them investigating um, Ivanka Trump's emails or his agencies? I think that's that's hard for me to see how Trump could do that. Maybe he could. Um, you brought up prescription drugs. That seems like an area where both parties really claim to want to do something. But I think the moment you reopen a health care debate, you get back into Obamacare and the nasty politics that emerged <clears throat> back then. Um, and you get into policy debates not only among Democrats, but Democrats versus Republicans. All right. Jennifer Habercorn from the L.A. Times, latimes.com. We'll let you get back to trolling the Capitol and trying to trap these members into uh, <laughs> as they walk through the halls. Uh, very nicely trap them. Oh, very good. Yeah, I told you. Uh, every time I go over there, man, I fear for my life. There's so many reporters roam, <laughs> roaming around. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot. Excellent. It's great to see you today. Thanks you so too. much for coming in. Uh, and when we come back, what is the latest on the border? Anisha Singh from the Center for American Progress will bring us up to date here on this Wednesday edition of The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. On a Wednesday, Wednesday, November 28th, what do you say? Great to see you today. And thank you for being part of the Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital on our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., joining you coast to coast. We start out in Washington. We end up wherever you are in this great land of ours. We're right there alongside of you online, on the radio, and on television. Um, I know what you're thinking, uh, and um, you all want to know, where, Bill, where did you get that beautiful scarf? Ha ha. <laughs> I knew you would ask. I'm ready to tell you this again is a, a work of art by my wife, Carol Press, hand-woven scarf, each one of these scarves, a hand-woven by her at our studio right in back of our house on Capitol Hill. Um, this one is rayon chenille. She also makes them in bamboo. Lots of, they're very, very perfect for this time of year. Can't go out without a scarf this time of year anyhow. Uh, and her uh, scarves, again, each one a work of art. Beautiful colors and designs to choose from. Don't just take it from me. Uh, I can't show you all the different colors and designs. Go to our website, BillPressShow.com. Check on the link, Carol Press Scarves, uh, and you'll see uh, beautiful examples there of our work. And uh, you can get one for yourself or someone that you love. Now is the time to do it. If you miss shopping on Cyber Monday, make it Cyber Wednesday, and you can uh, do your shopping today. I love this uh, the different blues and greens here. Two of my favorite colors all together. Uh, what do you say? So BillPressShow.com. Follow the link to Carol Press Scarves. Uh, and uh, we welcome to the studio. This whole situation at the border is so depressing and so shocking. Um, Anisha Singh is uh, covers these issues, works on these issues for the Great Center for American Progress, where she has the impressive title of Senior Organizing Director of General Progress for the Center for American Progress. <laughs> Generation Progress. Generation Progress, yeah. I'm sorry. 
You but general progress. I mean, we're always general. trying to generally make sure there's progress. You have a big business card. <laughs> Get all that on it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, one thing, at least, as we know, is um, we don't have to worry about the kids at the border because we're using very safe tear gas, tear gas designed just for children, right? I mean... It's, I mean, they will say anything these days to justify what they're doing. But at the end of the day, what they're doing is legally and morally wrong. It is a new low, a new day, a new low. That is just the, the name of the game these days when it comes to immigration. Um, and we know it's a distraction. We've seen this fear-mongering rhetoric for months now about this migrant caravan that's coming and they're coming for us. Um, and now they've reached the border. They have been on their feet. They have been walking and they have been uh, fleeing persecution and terrible things in their countries, and this is how we welcome them. These are, I mean, the countries they're coming from are most the, among the most dangerous countries on the planet. Absolutely, they are. And what's so what's so uh, disturbing about this is they have come so far, and they are just seeking a chance to make their case. You know, if, if we are following immigration law in this country, we are supposed to hear their case and then decide. If they have a case, they get to stay. If they don't, then they get sent back home. That is the process that we are supposed to be following. But instead, before they're even given that opportunity, we are firing tear gas at their children who are in diapers. Uh, yesterday, um, Sir Huckabee Sanders at the press briefing uh, was asked about uh, the use of tear gas. Uh, and again, she she sort of echoes what Donald Trump said the day before, where he said, we didn't have any choice. Uh, here's uh, the press secretary yesterday. The White House would never want children to be in harm's way oh, in no. any capacity whatsoever. Um, however, that is why we are continuing to encourage people to follow the law. Oh, yeah. We wouldn't want to put it children in, in any harm's way. But they're firing tear gas. If they don't hit by the canister, they're choked by the gas, right? Th this is along with saying that they're threatening to close ports down, saying that if you don't come through an actual uh, port of entry, you will be denied asylum, all of which are, again, illegal. If you are coming to our border, no matter what part of the border, and you are seeking asylum, you are supposed to have your day uh, to, to make your case. As a federal judge ruled last week. Right. A federal judge ruled that. And yet still, the next day, we are, you know, uh, firing tear gas and we are uh, shutting down the border. And, and, and when for folks who are not sure how they feel about immigration but really care about our economy, this should matter to you because when we are shutting down the border, we are Mexico is our third largest trade partner. And when we are shutting down the border, especially during the holidays, we are um, really messing with what what could be, you know, great trade uh, during the season um, and shutting down our economy. And that's harmful for our economy as a whole. Um, Donald Trump also said that these uh, photos we see of women with children are phony, fake news, that they're not parents. They're grabbers. Right. They just grab a kid and run to the border. Right, of course. And this is this goes along with all of the dangerous rhetoric that comes out of the extreme right. Um, and, you know, he's just rallying his base. He knows that he has lost the House. He knows that there's a lot of attention right now with the Mueller investigation. He knows there's a lot of attention with um, the lack of justice coming out of the Saudi Arabia uh, scandal. And so we're here and, and he this is what he does. He just creates distractions as much as he can, um, tries to get a new headline on the news to, to cover up the old ones. Right. Um uh, meanwhile, what is happening with these, um, you mentioned, uh, I don't know how many thousand, I've seen 6,000, 5,000, whatever, 
who are in Tijuana and in this camp? I mean, uh, what kind of accommodations do they have or facilities do they have? Or, or And how long do you, can they stay there? Is the Mexican government providing them any assistance? What's this, what's the plight of these people? And we, we got a, a glimpse of this with the family separation, right? We saw that these people are held in detention camps. They're held under tents. There's not much adequate food or water or supplies, resources given to them. Um, a huge concern is, you know, those who are LGBT are being... Um, uh, tortured, they're being raped. There's a lot that we're hearing from different cases and different individuals. And so as soon as we can get these folks help and they can go through the process of, uh, of asylum is important. But what has happened is they are shutting down some of these ports and only listening to a couple of cases a day. So all of our resources are going towards uh, 5,800 troops being sent to our border to, to fire tear gas at children and not so much um, so many resources towards listening to these cases as soon as we can, really understanding what's going on and making sure that we're putting the process forward. Right. But, I mean, they don't have um, the, the resources to spend six months or a year on the other side of the border just waiting in line. Absolutely. Right. And then there's this uh, proposed remain in Mexico policy. I don't know if you heard about right. that, yeah. which basically says that if you are um, afraid of being persecuted in Mexico, um, only then will you be granted asylum. Now, we know that is also illegal. Um, the, the point of asylum is that you are fear of, you have a fear of being persecuted in, in your, your home, home country. country. Right. right. Um, and so there, there are all these policies that they're trying to push forward so that they don't have to deal with this. Um, but we are America. This is what we have always done. We we open our doors to asylum seekers once we hear your case and if you win your case. And so we have to stick to that. And it's it's so important right now as we look at the political climate. We just won back the House. We as Democrats have a way of pushing this narrative. And so we have the, you know, the appropriations package coming forward. Um, and we need to say that we are not going to fund these horrible, egregious immigration policies. We're not going to fund the CPB, uh, CPB and, and, and any other agencies that are doing these uh, egregious acts. Uh, that is the power, one of the powers that the Democrats have in taking mm-hmm. back control of the Congress. We talk about a lot about the oversight power, the investigative power. There's also the appropriations power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can just, as you point out, tell these federal agencies, no, this is an activity we don't support. We're not going to fund. Absolutely. And that's going to be really important. I think there's there's a, a denial factor with Trump right now where he doesn't recognize that we have won back the House. Um, and this is our time now to flex that power. Right. Um, is there there was an article in The New York Times, I believe, yesterday uh, about this tent city for young migrant children that where there apparently there are many, many more being held in this tent city, which is larger than most federal prisons, mm-hmm. many more kids being held there than um, than they than reported. We thought, yep. Than they reported, absolutely. Right. And we knew this. I mean, I was on the show when we were, uh, you know, when when the headlines were talking about the family separation. Unfortunately, it has kind of gone under the radar. But there are so many more individuals and kids that have been separated, still not reunited with their parents. And now on top of that, we're adding this whole new issue. Um, so it really is a mess at the border. They haven't been, they've never made it a priority to track these children, to track their parents and where they have separated them. So there's a lot of confusion right now. 
Um, and they have just coughed it up to, well, some of them were sent back to their country. Some of them are here. Um, we're finding foster care, uh, um, you know, families for them, and, and it'll be fine. Um, so we have to continuously make sure this is on the radar and this is in the news. And we are holding this administration accountable because literally families are being separated. And we have the holiday season. We are among the holiday season, and we have to have a heart here. Do you have any idea how many were um admitted to the United States last year, granted asylum by the United States last year? Yeah, I don't have that. I don't have that number. Uh, that number, it, it was, I remember it was not uh, too different from previous years um, in the sense that- But are we talking 100,000? Are we talking- I don't think it's that high. 1,000? Are we talking- Yeah, it's definitely not as high as 100,000. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just in terms of the threat, I think that's an important number. Yeah, to know. yeah, I think they I they try too, and, but I don't. yeah they try to push this narrative that we have hundreds of thousands of individuals trying to flood into our country uh, and take over. Uh, that's not the case. the The numbers are not that high. Um, even this caravan itself, it's it's not as high as they make it seem with the images that they portray. Um, the point of a caravan is for safety, and that's why they're coming in those numbers all at once. Um, but generally, the numbers are not that high. So if the answer is not the wall, what is the answer? The answer is making sure we have proper immigration reform, making sure that we allow those who are already here to have proper status and those at the border coming in to go through the process, legal process that we have in this country to seek asylum. Um, or or to come in legally to, as part of our, our quota system or whatever. Right. Um, isn't it interesting that nobody talks about comprehensive immigration reform anymore? Right. And, and that's something that needs to be on our agenda. We need to first and foremost think about what are we doing at the border? What are these processes and how do we solidify a proper process for individuals seeking asylum? We also need to make sure that DREAMers finally get their DREAM Act without any other strings attached. And that TPS is still a thing. We have so many individuals who have sought TPS who are now being um, sent back there to, to the countries that they fled. Um, and so these are very in, important for, for the upcoming Congress. Uh, I'll consider. come back to the Dreamers in just a second. But you mentioned uh, TPS. Uh, last night I went to an event at the AFL-CIO downtown uh, where they were honoring some of the leadership of organizations that exist, including the AFL-CIO, to help people in the TPS program, just to make sure everybody understands what, here we go, alphabet soup again, the Temporary Protected Protected. Status Program. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is for people who come from countries identified as either having a natural disaster, like earthquake or whatever, Mm -hmm. hurricane wiping them out, um, forcing them to flee, or civil war, violence, whatever, gang warfare, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they include Haiti, as I recall, right? Right, Honduras. Honduras. Mm-hmm. Nicaragua, I believe, too. No, maybe. Mm-hmm. Ha- I remember Haiti and Honduras. But uh, at any rate, yeah. but the, the Trump, so the, and these are people, some of them go back to George H.W. Bush, right? They've been here that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one area where Donald Trump has just shut down the program. Shut it down. He he has completely shut it down. And that's that's just so dangerous. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because it's so scary and dangerous for these individuals to just be told this is no After longer. After all these years, yeah, right? You well, got to go back. No um, longer have TPS status. Which is basically sending them to their death, to be you know quite frank. 
Um, they're going back to these countries. They're being sent back to countries that they no longer recognize, they no longer know, and that they have been, um, you know, they, they're known to have fled. And so they're going to be persecuted for that. Right. Yeah. And these were, again, these were countries recognized as so serious, such a serious threat, even under Republican administrations, that people were allowed to come in to seek this TPS status because of the conditions in their home country. Exactly, right? exactly. And so that just goes to show you just how extreme this right. president's agenda has been on immigration. Right. On the dreamers, um, with Democrats in control of the House now, but you still need to get it through the Senate. I mean, this is one case where Paul Ryan would not put that up for a vote on the House. Mm -hmm. Had he done so, every member of Congress that we talked to, Democratic and Republican, said it would pass because there would be almost every single Democrat vote for it and enough Republicans to get it through the House. Paul Ryan knew that, would not put it up for a vote on the floor. Well, this president himself has said, we need to make sure Congress is passing a DREAM Act. We need to make sure, right? I, I canceled DACA so that we could have a DREAM Act in Congress, con blame Congress. So now we have the opportunity to hold this president accountable and ask him, well, let's make sure your Senate is passing this then. Here, right. we, here you go. Here's something that the House has passed. So we know it could get through the House now. Could it get through the Senate as well? If there's enough pressure and if Trump is put into that corner, I think he would need to put that pressure on his uh, Republican senators to say, this is something I promised and I have to we have to stick to it. And especially if we can make sure that we are holding those senators accountable who kept saying, yeah, yeah, we're just trying to figure out, you know, what the proper bill should look like, uh, making sure that they're held accountable for what they said. I want to go back to the border for just a second because I wanted to ask you, and I forgot, is it, we talked about the tear gas and this baloney excuse from the White House that this is a, a, a special kid-friendly tear gas and, and not that uh, harmful to them uh, because we wouldn't, God forbid, that we would put any children in harm's way. Um, is it legal to fire tear gas across the border into Mexico? Absolutely not. We don't even make it. Oh, <laughs> that's just a little little detail, right? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not legal, and, and that's part of the problem. And I'm sure there's going to be a case that goes in front of a judge about it any day now uh, because this is what we keep seeing. And I know you and I were talking about this during the commercial break, but this is what this president does. He will push the legal line as far as he can. A judge will shut it down, and then he'll think of the next best thing that he can do for his own agenda that is borderline illegal every single time. Muslim ban, one, two, three, right? He just kept trying, and he has done this every time, even the family separation, and this is no different. Um, so it's our job to make sure that we aren't just allowing him to continue to roll it back until something is borderline legal and, and still so egregious and so terrible for immigrants who are trying to come here. Um, who, who makes the decision? Is that a is that a presidential decision or or I mean can the is it the head of the border patrol at the who's ever on duty at the moment? Uh, it's 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 the border patrol with the blessing of the president is how I'd, I'd phrase it right uh, when this happened the president said yeah this was great this is what we needed to do that's what this administration was saying um, mm -hmm. so from that I, I gather that the C, uh, CPB kind of made their own decision in that moment of what to how to handle it but it's also because of the fear mongering and rhetoric and the encouragement that this president has been giving CPB for so long for months and so they have taken it upon themselves to do this um, and this is the president's administration these are the president's agencies under his watch. We have, uh, so Anisha Singh is with us from the Center for American Progress, AmericanProgress.org. Um, the new um, communications director for the White House, uh, Lindsey Graham, um, 
<laughs> he seems to have taken on that role. So he, for whatever reason, went down to Mississippi with the president um, on Monday Monday night. Uh, and yesterday, in his new role as spokesperson for Donald Trump, uh, he talked about the border saying, people like you, Anisha, when you don't like what's going on at the border, it's just because you hate Donald Trump. Here's uh, Senator Graham. I talked to the president last night. Uh, everything he con- was concerned about with the caravan is coming true. And if you don't see this as a major problem for Mexico and the United States, you just hate Trump way too much. That, mean, that's what it all is. I, I mean, I don't know what job he's he's being for. I, I mean, we don't know. But Lindsey Graham has been pushing this rhetoric and really just helping Trump push his uh, extremist base uh, to rally around him. And that's exactly what this was. Um, dividing this country as much as they can over these issues. Immigration has been a hugely divisive uh, you know, conversation and policy that has been in this narrative for the entire year, including leading up to the midterms. And they're just continuing to push that to continue and rally their base and make sure that people are angry and distract again from the, the current news and the, the current injustices that are happening. Right. So basically he's saying if, if you um, don't like seeing babies in diapers tear gassed, then that's because you hate Donald Trump. Right. right. He also says those two can can don't have to be mutually exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> right. Also says that if you um, are feeling sorry for anybody at the border, you shouldn't be feeling sorry for these mothers and their babies. No. Here's who you should feel sorry for. They're in a bad spot. To all those up here who want to criticize how they behave on the border, go down there and walk in their shoes for a minute. These are about the border They'll agents. Figure out how difficult it is to control chaos. Yeah. So. The Border Patrol are the ones that are really the victims down there, right? Right. And any chaos that might be happening is because they are not trying to implement the proper processes that we have in this country to legally process these claims. And so they are creating the chaos by shutting down ports of entry, by creating these uh, fear-mongering rhetoric and and scaring people. And then when they are creating that chaos, they say, look, look at the chaos that, that has come our way. Um, and we are the victims, right? It's it's that that's a that's a tactic that this administration has used time and time again. If you shut down policies, if you take away resources, if you take away funding, and then there are communities that are confused and trying to figure out how to handle that, then you say, look at these communities; they're the bad ones. Right. Uh, and one more is Lindsey Graham, because just because it's so outrageous, and it just just shows you how he has totally, totally uh, pledged his allegiance to to Donald Trump. Back to the tear gas thing. He says, no, actually, tear gas is good for this situation. Making sure that people do not engage you is the first rule of engagement so you don't get in a violent confrontation with an individual, and tear gas is one way to keep them at a distance. That's right. Tear gas works, right? So, I think we take the focus and spotlight away from individuals like Lindsey Graham and Donald Trump and focus on these children and families and think about how we are going to, as a people, hold this administration accountable for these egregious Isn't it true, though, wouldn't you have to admit that no matter what happens, there's no way Donald Trump is going to change his position on immigrants in general or what's happening at the border uh, because that's the way he keeps his base happy. That's the way he keeps his base happy. That is what he ran on. We knew from day one. The first announcement he ever made in his campaign was Mexicans are rapists and you know, drug dealers and a few are good people. And so he started his campaign 
on this racist, uh, you know, rhetoric. And so we know that he's going to stick to that. But but now with the House back and, you know, other things shifting in this country and the energy across the country from uh, individuals who are not here to to support Donald Trump, we need to we need to leverage that. Uh, we have to do that for these families. Uh, continue to protest, continue to speak out, um, continue to call your senators and your members of the House, continue to hold this administration accountable as much as you can. Right. What evidence is there? Uh, he, he said again yesterday, you've got uh, 500. He keeps using this number, 500. There are 500 criminals among that latest group uh, to come up to the border. Just coming up with his own numbers. And he gets away with it. And he knows he can. So he can make up whatever number he wants and make up whatever uh, lies he wants. Talk about these pictures being fake. Um, and his base eats it up. No one is fact-checking him on that side. And so it's the, up to the media to, to say, nope, that is a lie. Uh, and it is up to us to make sure that we're getting the proper information. Yeah. No, nobody, knows, so where that, nobody knows where that 500 is coming from. And... Um, Nobody's put out a list. I mean, he's here are the ones that we know have a criminal record. Uh, they don't have that information at right. all. It's pretty clear. Uh, Nisha, thanks for your good work. Must drive you crazy having to keep, keep up with this. Uh, hopefully we'll see some efforts toward a more enlightened approach to immigration from the next Congress once Democrats take over the House in January. Uh, again, you can follow Nisha Singh and our good friends at the Center for American Progress across the board at AmericanProgress.org. That wraps it up for this Wednesday. Make the most of the day, folks. Have a great Wednesday. We'll see you tomorrow. Press show.